Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We know that it's not easy to uh, continually to worship God in this way. Um, this is so far from ideal. We would love to be able to, to be together and in person. And um, what's difficult about this time, of course, is it, it's been difficult for a while, right? Uh, it was difficult to make this adjustment in March and April. And I'm not sure how many of us <clears throat> thought that this would go on in this way for this long and uh, seems to continue to be the case for the foreseeable future. And so it's easy for fatigue to set in. And so I just commend you if you're tuning in, if you're still listening to me this morning, I commend you for uh, your, you're actually displaying some tenacity um, in continuing to uh, seek to worship God in this, in this way. It's so uh, far from ideal. Um, we've started this series called Resolute, Tenacious Faith in Tumultuous Times, because even though uh, we so often hear that this is an unprecedented time, for God's people, going through a tumultuous time is not something new. God's people throughout history and throughout the generations have had seasons where they've gone through very tumultuous times and, and difficult circumstances. And we wanted to take some time and focus on how has God related to his people in the midst of the difficult times that they were going through? And how have God's people responded to, to God's grace and initiative in their life um, during, these, during these times of tumult? And uh, this is the third week of this series, and this week is called The Exile Church. The Exile Church, and we'll be uh, focusing on a passage from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. Well, we just got the good word this past week that Big Ten football is back. And that's especially good news for those of us who live in the city of Columbus, especially in light of how important Buckeye football is to this city. Um, it's, it's important in part also because our team is actually pretty good. <laughs> There's a lot of really talented players on our, on our team, and it would have been such a, uh, a sad thing for uh, this season not to be able to, to go on. Um, You know, before this season began, in so many ways, the season was meant to be a season of, of redemption for the Buckeyes, the way that they, they lost in dramatic fashion uh, at, at the end of last season. But we all know in about March, the pandemic hit and shut all kinds of things down. And um, restaurants shut down, schools shut down, concerts shut down, cruise ships shut down. And then to kind of pile on to all of the things that kind of weren't functioning in society, we saw the death of someone like George Floyd, and we grieved the racial injustice that we're, we've become more aware of uh, in our country. And perhaps we're grieving the, grieving the divisiveness 
the dissension that we see in our culture, in our country right now. And this has been no cakewalk for first responders in our country either. The, the list really goes on. 2020 has been something. And I, I remember back in March thinking, okay, this can, I, I can do this for a, a few weeks. And then I remember getting to May and thinking, um, okay, I can do this for a few more months, but surely, surely by the time that August, September comes around, things will be getting back to normal again. And I, it was hard for me to even conceive, um, the, the news that was going to be coming in August. In early August, there was even uh, signs that the Big Ten Conference was going to um, try to adjust to, to COVID and to try to make the season happen. But seemingly out of nowhere, news came that the Big Ten season was postponed. Uh, maybe the spring, who knows? This was a big blow for me. Uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And that may say something about my uh, over-reliance on, on football. But the reason it hit me like a ton of bricks is because um, Buckeye, Buckeye football in the fall is sort of a staple of, of the fall. It's a constant. It's there every fall. It's part of what, for me at least, makes fall the fall. Fall is my favorite season of the year living here in Ohio. We don't have beaches. We don't really have mountains. We have beautiful autumn leaves and crisp weather and we have Buckeye football. We don't really have good NFL teams. <laughs> um, it, for me at least, Buckeye football m means more than just a few hours of entertainment on a Saturday afternoon. It, it, it brings stability. It brings constancy. It, in, in a way, it, it feels like life is somewhat normal if I know a, a game is going to be happening on Saturday. And so when news came that the Big Ten season was going to be postponed and we didn't know when it was going to, if, if or ever it would start, um, this was very difficult for me. I was already feeling sadness and disorientation from the pandemic, but that sort of made those feelings even more acute, the news of the Big Ten season being postponed. And I'm wondering where this hits you this morning. Has there been a particular low point during the pandemic? Certainly for all of us, in one way or another, we've experienced some downside, some, some element that brings sadness and hurt, pain, in light of the, all that's gone on in, in 2020. But has there been a particular moment where you've received news of something that has made your feeling of disorientation during this time particularly acute? Has it been maybe a lost job, a diagnosis of you or a loved one? There's, there's many things that could bring that. Well, in our passage this morning, we're going to be looking at God's people, the people of Israel living in exile, as they receive a report of really bad news. It's, they're already in a bad situation. They're already in a disorientation season. But a bad report comes that makes it worse. And we'll, we'll take a look at that. Ezekiel is a prophet that was taken off to Babylon with others of the Jewish nation. And they were taken, in, they were taken to Babylon in exile. They were forcefully removed from the promised land. 
And they were taken to a place where they were surrounded by people who worshipped other gods. This is a very disorienting environment for them. But then this news report comes in the midst of this situation. And we see this in Ezekiel 33, actually, in verse 21. It says, In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, they remember the exact day that that this report came. A fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been struck down. The city has been struck down. Now, this would be an important final blow for the exiles living in Babylon. Jerusalem is an extremely important city if you're an ancient Israelite. It's not significant just because it was basically their capital city. Um, It was significant because that's where the Jewish temple was at. And the temple was extremely important to ancient Israel. The temple was a place where um, God's presence dwelt in a special way. The temple on Mount Zion was a place where the priests of Israel were to offer sacrifices. Uh, This was a place where Israel had a way to fulfill their end of the covenant that God made with them. This was the temple was a place that brought stability and security because it helped them to recognize uh, their relationship with the one true God. Biblical scholars have said that for ancient Israel, the temple was a place where they they envisioned heaven and earth kissing. So. Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem was such an important place to the stability, to the sense of being oriented in God's world for the people of Israel. And so when the news came that Jerusalem fell and was struck down, their pain, their sadness, their disorientation would have been even more acute. So imagine how that would have felt. What do you think they would have left to hold on to? They might be asking a lot of questions at this point, at the, at the news of this report. What does this mean? What does this mean about our relationship with God? They might be asking, is God really, is God really faithful to us? Is God really more powerful than these foreign deities, than the deities of, of the, the people that all these people around us are worshiping? They might be asking, is God really there? They might be asking, is this really worth it to put in all this effort to try to follow God in obedience? Is it even worth it? So in this passage, it could be easy for God's people to respond to this report of this bad news about Jerusalem. It'd be easy for them to respond, almost putting God on trial. Where are you, God? What are you doing? And there are certainly places where that approach to God is honored in Scripture. But it's really interesting how in this passage, God uses the prophet Ezekiel to turn the tables on the people, to direct their attention towards themselves. It's almost like in this passage we're about to read, he puts a mirror in front of them and says, instead of putting me on on trial, what if I put you on trial? So we start in verse 1, 
of Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have, injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the feasts of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hands and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. So these words from Ezekiel 34, this first part of the chapter, really ought to be smelling salts. They ought to be sort of a wake-up call, particularly uh, for those of us in the church who have any sort of leadership position. Listen again to what God is saying to the shepherds of Israel. He says, I see how your shepherds have been living. I've observed, I'm aware, I know how you've been living. What you've been doing is you have been you're supposed to provide for the sheep, but you're actually using the sheep to provide for yourself. Even though you're supposed to seek healing and trying to help people who are injured, the shepherds instead, I see what you're doing. You are neglecting this. You're you're letting people uh, stay injured. <laughs> you're not you're not bringing healing. Uh, even though you're supposed as shepherds to feed the hungry, you're using people to feed yourself. Uh, even though you're supposed to care for the flock, you are caring for yourself. And so we see God's critique through Ezekiel of the shepherd's selfish behavior. They have neglected their role and rejected their role as shepherds of God's people. And the result... And uh, this is really sobering. The result is that God has rejected them. He says, I am against you, shepherds. In our uh, Presbyterian tradition, we value really highly that our leaders are theologically orthodox. And that's really good. It's extremely important, actually, that we value theological orthodoxy. But if we have... if we have a weak spot or we uh, underemphasize something. We underemphasize orthopraxy or right practice, right living. 
Um, but orthopraxy in this passage is actually just as important as, as orthodoxy. Well, what we don't see in this passage is we don't see God critiquing the shepherd's theology per se. What he takes issue with in this passage is that they're being selfish. They are living out of a heart of selfishness that leads to selfish actions. They're using people instead of leading and shepherding and caring and guiding and protecting them. They've used their role for their own selfish purposes. And God is against them. And though we live in a very different time and place... And the circumstances of tumult that we're in right now are very different than what they were going through at that time. I think we would do well as leaders in the church to do soul searching, to ask God. Maybe we need to go to our knees in prayer and ask God to reveal to us are there ways that we have been living selfishly also. this sort of thing doesn't just happen overnight. It kind of happens subtly and it happens uh, sometimes even without our awareness. Um, there are authors named McIntosh and Rima and they write about the leader's subtle tendency towards selfishness. Listen to what they say. Though we are all aware of the selfishness underlying many of our choices, it is never easy to admit and it's something we work hard as leaders to hide. Listen to this metaphor. They say, like a hungry shark being careful to keep its telltale dorsal fin just below the surface so as not to reveal its location to a potentially gratifying meal, we become adept at keeping our selfishness carefully submerged so as not to reveal our true motives. But just as the famous shark will eventually break the surface in an explosion of fins, blood, and boiling water, so selfishness will ultimately result in chaos in our leadership. They use this metaphor to say that selfishness selfishness in the leader's life is like a shark. It, it tends to want to hide under the surface, but eventually it will poke its head its fin out of the water and as it does it will cause harm it will cause destruction don't we see this in churches across the country and dare i say in our society at large that there are leaders who make peace with the sin of selfishness who use their role for their own purposes who use people they're supposed to be leading for their own purposes and for their own ends Uh, This is what causes so much pain, harm, abuse, and destruction in our churches, but in our world. And so it's important for us as leaders to have passages like this before us, because moving in, in that direction can sometimes be a slippery slope. And sometimes we need these smelling salts. We need these wake up calls to say, um, Lord reveal to me how I need to repent even of the most subtle selfish motivations and the, the things that I do now for those of you who are not a leader in the church I hope you've, you've paid attention because my hope is that this is encouraging to you that we don't skip over passages like this that we don't skip over Ezekiel 34 that we 
uh, have messages where we want to make clear to our leaders God's call towards a selfless life, uh, my hope is that it's encouraging to know that we as leaders want to live under the authority of God mediated by, by God's word. But my hope also is that you recognize that uh, if God calls leaders to live selflessly, he's calling his, his people as a whole to live selflessly. He's calling his church to live generously and selflessly and to not be inward focused. Um, but you, you have a role to play also. Uh, if you are new to hope, if you're a member of, of hope, um, those of us who are leaders, we need, we need your help. We recognize that we have blind spots. We recognize that we have limitations. We recognize that just like anybody, we have tendencies towards the sin of pride, of, of selfishness, and we can't see everything clearly. And so there will be times, there will be times in the coming months, in the coming years, where we would ask you to graciously help us, give us, give us feedback. We want to grow. We want to be people who grow. We don't want to be people who use these positions of influence for our own purposes. Um, but we're not perfect. Uh, and so we, could, we can use your help uh, in the coming months and years to recognize ways that we may be going off course with this. Uh, but please do so graciously, recognizing that we're not perfect just like everybody else. But as God uh, kind of turns this mirror towards his people and he shows them the ways that their leaders have fallen short of the role that God gave them to care for the flock, it's at this point that he's willing to turn the attention back to himself. He wants his people in the midst of the tumult that they're experiencing, in the midst of this acute disorientation, in the midst of the news of Jerusalem falling, of all the questions they're asking about what does this mean for us, He's, he, he sees that now they are ready with fresh eyes to hear what God wants to say to them about who he is and what he wants to do. And so we pick up in verse 11. It says, For, for thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd, the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So God says to his people who are in exile, who just got this, this report that Jerusalem has fallen, he says to them, I see how your leaders have dropped the ball. I see how the shepherds have not fulfilled their role. Well, guess what? I am going to be your shepherd. All the things that your shepherds were supposed to do to guide you, to care for you, 
I will do that even more so. I will come and rescue you. I will gather those who are scattered. I will provide for your needs. I will care for the flock. I will rescue you. God promises that he will do all the things that the shepherds have failed to do, but, but even more so. I mean, listen again to the repetition. The, rep- the repetition in this passage is there for a reason. God wants us to hear his passion, his initiative. Listen, he says, I myself will search. I will rescue. I will bring them out. I will feed them. I will feed them with good pasture. I myself will be the shepherd. I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And here's where God's justice is still there. The fat and the strong I will destroy. It's sobering. I will feed them in justice. And so... No matter how you're experiencing this chaotic uh, 2020, know this, that if you have put your trust in Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you can know that these words of what God has promised to his ancient people in exile in Babylon, he is promising to you too. He promises to be your good shepherd also. We see this actually in John chapter 10 verse 11. Feel free to flip there if you want to. But John, or excuse me, Jesus is well aware of this passage in Ezekiel 34. So he is not haphazardly choosing this terminology to describe himself, to title himself. He calls himself the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And if you think about it, that's incredible. If you read John 10 with fresh eyes, with um, Ezekiel 34 in the background of, of your mind, it could blow your mind what Jesus is doing in John chapter 10. Because he is well aware in Ezekiel 34 that it's God who says, I will be the shepherd. I will be the shepherd because Israel's shepherds have failed. I will be the shepherd. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the good shepherd. Now, what's awesome about this is that this is not just a claim to divinity, though I think you can make that case pretty easily. What I think is amazing about this is that Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd means that he has come to fulfill what God promised he would do in that passage. And so if you have trouble believing that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God wants to protect you and guide you, look to Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who will fulfill and and has fulfilled what God has promised to do in Ezekiel 34. And even later on in John chapter 10, Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus takes it a step further. He says, not only am I not like the shepherds of Israel who have used their role for selfish reasons, I am the epitome of selflessness. Selflessness. I have laid down, I will lay down my life for the sheep. And of course, that's exactly what he did. And so if you, if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in him, you can know that the good shepherd cares for you. 
the good the good shepherd loves you he wants to provide for you to protect you ultimately even in the midst of the hard things the challenging things the pain and suffering that you might be going through so how do we live a life of tenacious faith during tumultuous times well we listen to the good shepherd the good shepherd who tells us that he sees us that he loves us and for proof he laid down his life for the, for us let's pray god we thank you for the truth of your word we thank you that you have promised to love us and care for us as the good shepherd Lord, we thank you that even in a world where there are all kinds of leaders who live very selfishly and all of the chaos that comes from that, all of the pain, all of the heartache, Lord, you are the ultimate good shepherd. You are the one who, who is able to right all wrongs, to overcome all of the bad leadership that's happened in, during this time and through, through history and, and into the future. You are so good and so powerful and so loving that the fact that you are the good shepherd changes everything. God, would you help us to believe that? Would you be near to us during this chaotic time? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.